last 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh, mercy! Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the red brick warehouse in the corner of Camden and Conway, it is the Mass and All Access podcast brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. Paul Mancano and Bobby Blanco, are those the correct cross streets? I was just thinking that you added some flair to your intro yeah. this week. Yeah, because uh, I know it's definitely Conway, right, that comes up. Uh, is that Conway? I don't know. I know Kyle Ripken. Uh, well, I always go by Utah Street. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the, technically, the road in front of, a, of the warehouse is Camden. The yeah. road that runs through on the other side of the warehouse is the, Utah. The road. Yeah. It's a well, road. I mean. That turns into a road. I know. Yeah, I know it is a road. It's a, it's a road. It is Conway. And uh, in front of the R entrance to the warehouse, it is either Utah or Camden. Three, three, three. Yeah, because that's whenever we... Mm-hmm. Away games have to order food to the warehouse, yes. 333 West Camden Street. Yes. Which no one can ever seem to find. No it's one can It's impossible for any delivery system service to find 333 West Camden Street. Well, which is funny go. because when you type in 333 West Camden Street, it takes you directly to our front door. Yes. So there is no reason it should never work. And also, it is the exact location. It is the corner. They can just listen to the Mass and All Access podcast, like I'm sure they already do. Right. And hear on their way here. The yeah. Yeah. And hear that it's at the corner of Conway and Camden. Yeah. I, I just, I will never understand. And this has actually happened a lot more to other folks in the uh, studio than t- I maybe had one instance that I can remember that I could not get the delivery person to find our location. It seems like everyone else has a problem. Oh, yeah. Every time I go get delivery, no, no, no problems. Nope. No, really. I always put it. Uh, just, uh, say, just say uh, the circle in front of Dempsey's or in front of the right. team store on yeah. the warehouse. I, it's I, the easiest to get to. I try to put some kind of description. I say, yeah. all right, you're going to want to take a right into the Exxon on 14th Street. You're going to meet a guy there named Matt. He's going to uh, tell you exactly where you need to go to find the treasure. Once you find the treasure, you'll find a note that says the fifth floor of the warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> the secret password is yep. raspberries. Exactly. Now, don't we can't give out the secret password, <laughs> the now, Bobby? Come on. I'm confused at the because I, I see. I'm, I'm literally. Well, this is not a season working as I'm literally just understanding why there's confusion because West Camden Street runs runs parallel with the warehouse. Yes. But then also goes perpendicular. Look, you see this on the map right there. Look, that's yeah. West Camden Street. Yes. Also, as well. Oh, yes. So is this. So three 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 must also end up over there somewhere near like pickles and sliders and like the Legends Park. Right. Well, yeah. Why does I've never seen a street like go north and south and then make a hard ninety degree angle turn? You should go to San Francisco and see Lombard Street. That thing well, is crazy. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a snake, but it's going the same direction. <laughs> it's for, going for, downhill. Yeah. True. Yeah. It is going. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. It is uh, pretty wild. Uh, fun fact about the warehouse, well, about uh, Oriole Park at Camden Yards. For those who have been to um, the Babe Ruth Museum might know this, that the bar where that Babe Ruth's dad used to own, one of them, was in current day center field at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Really? And Babe Ruth's dad died in a bar fight outside that bar. Really? So in like center field, shallow, shallow south center field. field, yeah, is where... 
Uh, Babe Ruth's father died. In a bar fight. Yeah. Isn't that's, that crazy? That's a crazy way to go. Also, the, I mean, I guess he's the owner, but what are you, what are you doing out there? Just let them deal Just, with it. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess you got to protect your property, was, but like. I don't know what year. This no, was like the 30s or 50s or something. That's, a, that's an interesting little tidbit of trivia. Did you learn that at the museum? I think so. Yeah. Uh, or that might have been uh, required reading afterwards. I you know, went to like Wikipedia and right. searched that. Right. Um, Babe Ruth's all over this town. It's nuts. People yeah. like sleep on the fact that Babe Ruth is from Baltimore. Well, yeah. I mean, he's he's Baltimore's son. Yeah. I mean, despite the fact that, you know, he was sent away to, uh, was it a correctional facility? Not a correct, a, a, you know, like a a sleepaway school yeah. when he was uh, 14. Or was, yeah. <laughs> it was like in between. Like, like a boarding school. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. it was kind of like but for you, troubled kids, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, who were on their way there. But uh, yeah. Babe Ruth, some fun, some. That's fun actually how he got the name Sultan of SWAT because he was just swatting kids, so he needed to be put into correctional school. Is that why? Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. not because of his bat. No, 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 not at all. Um, we are going to talk about the Orioles at some point. Uh, the Orioles coming off two of the toughest losses of the season uh, against a, a bad team in the Blue Jays. Last night was perhaps even more brutal. Uh, the fact that Michael Givens. Or not Michael Givens, rather. Miguel Castro gave up a grand slam. A guy who came into that game pitching very well over the past month gives up a grand slam in the ninth inning with two outs, and the Orioles end up losing by one run. They got one back in the bottom half of the ninth. It was the longest nine-inning game of the year for the Orioles. Came against a team that is also playing for nothing, but for some reason it just felt like the most brutal loss because they were leading the whole way. They were up 9-5 headed into the ninth. And then they just saw it disappear. And you, you got to feel for Brandon Hyde at this point, the amount of tough losses that he has taken his fair share of over the year. Brandon Hyde, the whole team, everyone in the front office, the whole fan base. I mean, that was the biggest gut punch, I think, of the season. I can't think. I mean, we talked about how, yes, there have been lots of losses and they've come in bunches and we knew that was coming this season. And some of them have been tough to stomach. But for this one, like, I think because the wins are so few and far in between, like you really uh, Orioles fans. And I think us, we do too, like really treasure them. Like a yeah. good solid win is like nice. Yeah. That's like, they deserve that one. And to have it just snatched from you, I think is just the biggest gut punch this team has suffered all season because we've seen them get blown out. We've seen them blow leads, but it's just like, well, they probably didn't deserve to win that game anyways. You know, that's yeah. th- those things happened last night. I mean, that, ha- I mean, that also probably happens to, Every team goes through a loss like that, I feel like, once every season. You know, we saw the Nationals do it to the Mets a couple of weeks back. I mean, right. it just happens. It's a freak accident. But for this team in particular, like I said, they really, you really value wins because they're, they don't, they're not coming as often as they have in the past. They're losing a lot by design. But, you know, you just really wish they could have got – because that one was like – I mean, they came out the gate swinging, just yeah. double after double, home run, VR, and Santander go yard. And it just seemed like – Bundy was pitching well, and, you know, we could be watching some of his last few starts in an Orioles uniform or his career, uh, or at least some of his good starts. So yeah. those are being treasured by fans, too, as well. And then just to have, just the way it all kind of went down, the writing was on the wall. He's like, there's no way. There's yeah. no way. And then you, let, you get one run back in the ninth. And then the grand slam puts him on top. It's just like, ugh. And then also, I mean, credit where credit is due, the Orioles didn't give up after that. Maybe some teams would have. Some f- players would have. Yeah. But – 
they had the winning run, I believe, on second base at at a at a point in time uh, in the in the bottom of the ninth inning last night. Yeah, uh, DJ Stewart they, came up with the big double. They had a the yeah they they had the bases loaded. Yeah. with one out. Yeah, yeah, and. And Trey Mancini, who's been the clutchest of clutch as of late. That pitch, man. That first pitch was his pitch. And I yeah. bet you if we, Trey was sitting right here right now, we were asking, yeah. going back and watching that tape, that's the one he probably wish he would have swung on. Because that was a, what, a mid-80s curveball that hung up right in the middle of the zone. He, I, I saw that watching the game. I just, like, that was, like, loft in there. And I was yeah. like, swig! <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. all he had to do was put lumber on it. And that's easy. It's at the yeah. worst, a double in the gap. Yeah. And that wins the game. And at best, it's a grand slam to... to, to shove it back in the Blue Jays' face. So that was, I bet you Trey was real frustrated about that. But, I mean, you can't blame the guy. The guy is just been on so fire over the past week. And also clutch all, all year. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, but I mean, he's going to be the Orioles' most valuable player, the most valuable Oriole 2019. Deservedly so. Leads the team in home runs. I believe RBIs as well. Yeah. Um, it's just been so great over the past week, hitting 352 with four homers and like 14, 15 RBIs, excuse me. Just, um, just unbelievable stuff. Um, Trey is having a, a great year. And he's one of the, you know, I mean, like I said, a lot of losses. Season has gone about the way we expected. Nothing too much to cheer for. But Trey is probably one of the few reasons to keep watching over this last week yeah. of the regular season. Well, and he has been, of all the that has been asked of him this year by the organization, he has fulfilled his requirements and then some. Yeah. I mean, he has been the franchise, you know, we coming into the year all the talk was Trey you're going to be the leader, maybe, you know, a leader, maybe the leader in the clubhouse coming into this year. Despite the fact that you were a rookie 2 years ago, despite the fact that you're only 27 years old, you're going to be the guy. And he said, "Okay, and I'll take it and I'll run with it." I mean, he has after I feel I think after every game, I'm not in the clubhouse after every game, but he has been made available to the media after seemingly every game. He -hmm. has always put on a good face. He has never disparaged his teammates, never said anything bad about the organization. I mean, the guy has been, and, you know, you might say, well, that's not hard to do. When you're losing like this, when you're losing this many games, and we knew it was expected, but it still takes a toll. And he personally went through some struggles as well in the the May-June portion of the season, and he, the fact that he wasn't named an all-star, never said anything bad. And that is, I mean, and, and then you count, add all the community service yeah. that he has done on the side, all the appearances he has made as a face of the franchise. I mean, the guy has been the model of a franchise player. He has fulfilled that part. And I think, you know, it, it, not just his play on the field, but what he has done off the field as well has to have really convinced this organization that, you know, this guy, I'm not sure if he will be on the team when they're, you know, competing again, but he certainly has the makeup of a leader of that team. And if he can keep that production going, maybe he can be the veteran leader of that team. Well, we talked about this on our trade deadline episodes, Paul, where, you know, we both thought that, you know, at the beginning of the season, Trey is definitely, you know, he's got to be shipped off. He's the yeah. best player. You know, you're in a rebuild mode. You got to get... You know, this is just the way it goes. You ship off your best players to get prospects back, and, and yeah. you're looking at the future. But then as we got closer to the deadline, you and I kept talking about it. You know, it's like it's going to probably take – it's going to have to be a deal that blows Michael Elias away. And, yeah. like, a, a one that, like, you cannot say no to in order to ship this guy off because he has been your best player. He has been one of, if not the main reason, that fans are coming to the game so or watching on Masson yeah. or, and buying up merchandise because he – 
has been not only that guy on the field, like you said, but the guy off the field. Yeah, He's an easy guy to root for. I mean, there's no one out there, not even John Heyman can look at this <laughs> Orioles team and not root for a Trey Mancini because, like you said, always talking to the media, always doing stuff in the community, the stuff he does off the field that maybe doesn't go, you know, as nationally broadcast as, yeah. you know, the stuff he's doing on the field. I think he's getting a good reputation around baseball yeah. for his stuff, his play. But the stuff he does off the field, the the availability to media members, you know, we talked to Steve Molesky a lot, especially the past week or so covering the minor league playoffs. And he's like, Trey, I mean, Trey is just the best because he just, yeah. anytime go up to him, he's able to talk. I think it was Monday after their brutal loss to the Tigers. Trey might have had not a particularly good game, but right and center, right on Mass and O's extra post-game show, talking to the media, answering every question, not cutting it short, not being short with the media members either. I mean, he's just an easy guy to root for. And then also to your point about his leadership, you know, I think we were all expecting him to kind of take up that mantle this season um, because of the expectations, you know, how everyone expected him to be a good player. And, you know, with Adam Jones, Manny Machado, Jonathan Scope, all of them being not here anymore. But then you look at the guys like Alex Cobb gone for the season, Mark Trumbo gone for the majority part of the season. It was kind of thrust upon him because yeah. all these veterans weren't here for whatever reason, whether they signed with other clubs or were injured and not actually with the big league team. He kind of had to take that mantle because he was one of the few guys on the team that has been here. Yeah. And they made hit, they made the Orioles his team. And yeah. he, he took it in full stride. Yeah. And, I mean, the guy was, a few months ago, he was signing copies of the Orioles magazine an hour and a half before the game yeah. on Utah Street. Yeah. I remember fans were yelling, why aren't you going, <laughs> are you playing tonight? Like, they assumed he must be injured because it was so close to the game. And here he was, not in uniform, just hanging out with fans, talking to them, taking pictures, signing autographs. He, every time I've gone to the clubhouse, he's been there. He's been sitting in his locker just waiting to talk to people, inviting people to come up. I mean, the guy has been phenomenal. And I know, you know, it's the best comparisons we have to make because the other only other team we watch on a regular basis are the Nationals. Correct. But I think of a guy like Ryan Zimmerman, who started yeah. with the Nationals pretty much since their move from Montreal to D.C. He was their first draft pick. Their first draft pick. As the Nationals. Yeah, yeah. With, uh, with D.C. He started out his career really on a tear, several-time All-Star before, or at least one-time All-Star before he, you know, when he was a third baseman. And it wasn't until his age 27 season when the team was good and they had Harper and Strasburg in the bigs and they got to the 2012 playoffs. And I think of that might be, and it, it is a shame, if only Trey Mancini were like two years younger. Yeah. Because that is, I see a similar path with Trey. And, you know, as we talked at the trade deadline about how valuable he would be to other teams, he might be more valuable to the Orioles mm. than he would be to other teams. He nice. might be one of those guys because Excellent of point. what he has, because it, going into next year, assuming he's going to be on the team next year, he's going to be, you know, like Brandon Hyde's like go-to guy. Kind of like how Andrew Kashner was um, for the first part of the season as like almost a secondary coach with him a holdover from last from this year to next year which might be rare next year yeah um so he might he might be more valuable to the Orioles because you know around the league first basemen aren't particularly valuable um you know guys who don't walk a ton aren't particularly valuable but considering that he has built up such a good reputation with this front office with this coaching staff and with this team he might be, it might be the long-term best play to just hold on to him and say, 
this is the guy. Yeah, that's a, that Zimmerman comparison is actually a fantastic point. I totally see what you're getting at that. And I think that would be a great story, not just for Trey Manzini, but for this Orioles team and this yeah. fan base. You know, because this fan base, like we've talked about all the time, I mean, yeah, sure, the attendance may, numbers not may not show it, but this fan base loves this team. You know, the, Baltimore is a baseball town. They are live and die by the Orioles. They know what's coming. The, the smart fans know what's coming around the horizons. Keep in mind, yesterday, last night, the Astros just locked up their one their third straight 100 win season. What was it in 2011 to 2013? Yep. Three straight 100 loss seasons. Who were there for the last two? Michael Eyes. It's coming. Yeah, it's down the line. You know. We're obviously not putting an exact timetable on it, but it's it's coming. The the wheels are in motion. And I think if Trey Mancini were to be the one holdover from this just downtime, just like the worst of the worst, into like the end of the light of the end of the tunnel, back to being competitive. You you got guys like uh Ryan Mancastle coming up, Grayson Rodriguez making the bigs, Adley Rutschman, you know, guys like that. And they have a guy like Trey Mancini to look up to, you know, and also a first base, like you said. Not the sexiest position, not the most important position, but he's got to be out there every day nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, American League can play DH every once in a while. You can give slot Mountcastle over there, whatever it may be. He's a great example of someone you want around for the long haul. Yeah. And also a guy, we've talked about this before too, who has touched every level of this minor league organization. And so he knows. He can relate to anybody who comes up here to the to the Orioles or uh, major league club, he can relate to anyone being like, Hey, yeah, I played at Bowie. I played at Frederick. I played at trip, uh, Norfolk. You know, I, I know I went to the same thing you are now. Let me help you go through what I went through as a first time major yeah. leaguer. Yeah. And it's just like oh, almost perfect role model for guys like an Ali Rushman, Ryan Mountcastle, Ryan McKenna, if he ever makes it up here as well, just someone to like link up to and look idolize and, yeah. and be like, Hey, he stuck it out. I'm going to stuck it out. I'm going to stick it out too. And that way, I can reap the benefits when the Orioles are back to being competitive again. Yeah, and and you're, to your point about his position too is you know that's the thing is is in the, in the uh, in the American League it's almost like you have two first baseman spots. You right. have two spots to stick bad defenders, right. DH and first base, pretty much. Um, obviously, Trey Mancini. I don't think his future is in the outfield. While he might play some spot outfield in the future, and he can if you throw him in there, you know, if, if as a last ditch situation, his future is definitely at first base. The, I, I honestly think the only thing, because we know his contract situation is favorable over the next few years, the only thing that might give this organization pause is the fact that he's 27. But you look at other positions like a shortstop or a third base, particularly, or even a second base or, or a center field or something like that, positions that need re, you require athleticism to play. Yeah. And the older you get, once you hit like 30, then the athleticism starts to dip. For Trey, he's already at first base. You can stick... I mean, there are 38-year-old first basemen still doing well out there. You know, there's... Uh, you can stick guys there for the long haul, and they can get close to 40 in that spot. And at this point, I think the front office is looking at this and saying, all right, we have four years now, well, really three years, of Trey Mancini stats to, to pour through and to say whether this guy is a long-term guy. And it's tough to see exactly what kind of guy he's going to be in the future. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, does, he still doesn't walk a ton. His walk rate has gone up a lot over, uh, during this year. He's bat, He hit 242 last year. He's up to 281. That has been a major improvement. I think the one constant you can say is this guy is going to hit homers. Yeah. He is 34 this year. He had 24 in the previous two years in each of those two previous years. He is going to hit homers for you for 
pretty much as long as he's playing. I could see him hitting 25 a year for the next five seasons. You know, yeah. it, it, that's that might be a little bit of a stretch, but that's if, if you have a consistent power hitter like that, um, that has the ability to drive the ball to all fields. He's not just a pole hitter that you can just shift your offense or your defense on and just eliminate him from the lineup. He is going to hit the ball to all fields, and he's going to have power to all of those fields. So at this point, I'm not expecting that they would sign anybody to an extension. Michael Elias has said that this isn't the point in the, their rebuild where they are looking to sign guys to an extension. But coming into the year, he was one of the guys fighting to be to stick through his prime years with this team and, and trying to show that he could stick with them long-term, and he has checked every single box. Yeah, if you got a guy that can... Let's say on average, I mean the way the way he's trending upwards, hit around forty home runs, get around hundred ribbies, get an OPS that's hovering around if not at a thousand. That's a guy. If you and also, you know, you add some players, some pieces to this lineup, get guys who can get on base ahead of him. You're yeah. batting him fourth. I mean, he's batting. I think I feel like he's been batting second a lot this yeah, season, yeah. but that's because no one else really. I mean, you want him. I get that whole idea of getting him more at bats, but if you get guys you know, later down down the road in this rebuild, you know, next year or two or three, whatever, that can get on base ahead of him and also hit for power. Then you have guys who are, you know, ducks on the pond where he's up there and then just slugging, you know, yeah. three RBI double, grand slam, two, uh, two run, uh, Earl, Earl Weaver special, whatever it may be, and just powering up the ribbies. He just becomes so much more valuable in that lineup spot. Yeah, well, Hyde has not had any table setters. Right. I mean, he's had the closest he's had his hands are Alberto, yeah. who... You know, just hits a ton of singles. But we beyond were, that, it's like... And we, we've talked about how ideally Richie Martin might become a good leadoff hitter at some point. Not where, and not anywhere near that just yet. But, yeah. you know, who's to say it down the line? Um, yeah, and the comparison, to, like you said, I think another key point is that, you know, let's, let's stick with the Zimmerman comparison. He Zim, Trey Mancini is a natural first baseman. Zimmerman played the first half of his career at third base and then suffered injuries. And the only yeah. reason he moved to third base is because he couldn't throw across the diamond anymore because he hurt his arm or shoulder or whatever it was, or elbow, I think it was. Um, so, you know, Trey Mancini is quote-unquote protected in that sense in that he's not playing a high leverage, a high body, physically demanding position like a third base or a, like the hot corner or outfield anymore. Ideally, when he slots back to first base, you can DH him in the American League too. So you can... I'm not saying count on, but you can kind of feel comfortable with the fact that, you know, he's hitting his stride right now and he's going to continue in this pace for the next, in his career, whether that's what the Orioles are not, next five, six, seven plus seasons yeah. because he, he is protected by the position he's at and the fact that he's already, you know, shown glimpses that he can do this. And, yeah. you know, again, like we talked about, that one struggle, what was it, in late June, early July, those two week period where he really struggled, he broke out of that, and that happens yeah. to every player in baseball. I mean, that's just the way a 162 game season goes. So, I, I think, you know, how much do? And here's my question for you, Paul: How much do Michael Eyes, Brandon Hyde, and company value Trey Mancini looking toward this offseason? Obviously, we'll have a lot right. of offseason talk on the pod once the season ends in a week. But you know, is he a guy? I think he's less likely to be traded in the offseason. I think he's yeah, definitely kind of a a midseason type trade chip if he's ever to that point. But at what point do you see that they say, all right, he's his peak value. We got to get something for this guy because he, he he's 27, 28, whatever, next year. He can't be a part of our long-term plan. Or you say the opposite. Be like, this is the key. This, he's our key piece. We've, we've got to figure out other yeah. guys. Get ready, guy. Get guys ready to come play with him in the next couple of years or so. I agree with you. I think that it he is more of a 
mid-season trade candidate. And I think it's because, I'm trying to kind of put words to it, but I think it partly, teams that go into the offseason have kind of like, they have like their plan A, plan also B. Also with this market, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's they, toss that out. Yeah. That, that, that goes without saying. In order to, to fix their teams, I think they kind of have a plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. Right. I think Trey, for a lot of teams, would be a, a plan C type guy. Okay. Because I think that they would look more for a versatile guy. They, you know... They would look more for a guy who can play other positions besides first base, a guy that they might be able to slot into the outfield that they know can produce positive defensive stats for them um, in the outfield or at other positions. So I think that they might, you know, teams would, to, if they're plugging holes uh, in the offseason, try to look for somebody a little bit more defensively versatile, maybe a little bit somebody younger potentially. But I, I can see, you know, the reason we thought he might have been dealt right before the trade deadline is because oftentimes what teams need in July going down the stretch run is uh, the maybe they, bat. yeah, yeah. a power bat. Maybe they have an injury to somebody and they just need somebody there. Maybe they need another bench player for the stretch run. You yeah. know, maybe the Yankees just say, all right, we need somebody who, who can hit homers off the bench. And they kind of made a, a deal like that uh, in, in getting Edwin, Edwin Encarnacion earlier mm-hmm. in the year. So, you know, those are, those are the kind of, spots that I see him filling in as I don't know if a team goes out is is going into this November going we need to get Trey Mancini to be our everyday first baseman in the future that's not a position they prioritize yeah so um so that being said I I think Michael Elias will see that and I think he'll say this probably is not the best time to trade a Trey Mancini yeah it's kind of like it's a yeah I agree and it's it's weird to kind of like a seesaw thing where like Yes, he's the best player. He, he, you know, all the power numbers, home runs, RBIs, OPS, whatever. But also, he doesn't play that viable of a position right, defensively exactly. on on first base. So it's like, you know, if I'm the Yankees, Red Sox, whoever, Cubs, I'm not gonna give up top prospects for a first baseman. Yeah, and he, who, you know, may start half the games at first base. Right. So that's an interesting concept too. Yeah, I, I definitely, th- and also we see less trades in the offseason, anyways. Like it's not a time for trades. Yeah, maybe the winter meetings. We saw, we've seen a couple of trades at the winter meetings the past couple of years. There, it really did not feel like there were a whole lot of offseason trades last year. I can't yeah. even think of the biggest trade that. I mean, the only one that comes to mind because we covered it was the Tanner for Tanner trade yeah. between the Nationals and the Reds. But then the year before that was the uh, the Stanton trade. Yeah, yeah, that was obviously and the year before that was the Eaton trade. But I mean, this this past 2018-19 offseason, I mean, like CJ Crone got traded. I can't even think of. Yeah, that's the thing too. Like, it's like if you're a team that's quote unquote buying in the offseason, you're probably yeah. more likely to go for a free agent than a yeah. trade because that way you don't have to give up any prospects. You don't have to give anything up to get this player. Right. You just you're just throwing money at him. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and years. So yeah, uh, I mean. Teams are less desperate in the offseason. They're yeah. more... We saw that especially yeah, last no, year. There's no need to be... You yeah. know, well, they are, granted, but I feel like there are some teams that, you know... I mean, again, I hate bringing this team in here, but it's just easy to it's just easy to, to talk about because yeah. we cover it too. But the Nationals, they might see their window for opportunity to, to win closing. You know, right. Max Scherzer's getting up there. Strasburg has opt-outs. Yes, they sound Patrick Corbin... But Zimmerman is on the tail end of his career. Now Matt Adams is also yeah. hurt. Howie Kendrick's on the tail end of his career. The bullpen is, is a show. You know, when do they see their window possibly closing? And, you know, do they, if they don't make, you know, the NLCS this season, do they get desperate this offseason and then just go buy, 
Yeah, I don't even know who the top free agent reliever is, but like, right. when, at what point do they get desperate and be like, our window for opportunities? You know, yeah. the teams get desperate, but you're right, not as desperate yeah. as July 31st. Yeah, uh, the only other example I can think of is like the Phillies got desperate because they were trying to think of right. Harper, so like they trade guys for Real Muto and right. try to get, uh, you know, uh, get a Gene, Gene Segura. Real yeah, Muto probably was the biggest trade last year, which is crazy because I mean he's a good player, but he's their, he's been their best player all season, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean that's about. That's about the extent of it. So yeah. anyway, I, I don't I don't see him Mancini being a uh, an off season trade. It could happen. It, no, could, it could happen, but I don't see it either. But it, it, it's like um, I guess my general point is it's something to look forward to in twenty twenty. Yeah, and then also you know the mound castles that are going to be up early next year. What other prospects break through? What other prospects have good minor league seasons? You know who they get in the draft is going to be a top three, if not top two pick. Um, and you know, and see if they hold on to Trey for another year. And I think if we get to 2020 and Trey at, the, at this time next year, Trey's on this team, I think we've got our answer and that, you know, they see him as the long-term corner piece yeah. for this franchise. There are a lot of questions facing this team about who could be long-term franchise pieces or even just pieces for next year for 2020. We're going to talk about a few of them right after this word from Amy Jennings. Hey O's fans, thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. When it's over, for more Orioles coverage, head over to MassInSports.com. Steve Molesky's looking at Michael Givens' up-and-down season, and Rock Kubako takes a deeper look at the Orioles' rotation. All of that and more over on MassInSports.com. Thank you, Amy. Now, as teased, we're going to talk about some of the other guys besides a Trey Mancini who has earned the right, at least, to come into the 2020 spring training camp with a position sort of locked up with yep. at least a leg up on their competition. Mm. And obviously things are going to fluctuate. We might see trades. We might see some prospects get moved up. Maybe somebody hasn't, uh, maybe somebody like a Ryan Mountcastle has an awesome spring training and all of a sudden they hop somebody on the roster. But at this point, we're just looking at 2019 production who has deserved a, a, a figurative spot in the, the uh, roster next year. And I think, uh, let's start with the position groups, Bobby. Um, the infield in particular. I think we got to start with Hanzo Alberto. Yeah. He's definitely deserved it. I mean, that that average up over 300, he has been around the AL batting title all season long. Somebody who, at, at one point, was not considered to make the roster. I'm pretty sure at one point they might have uh, put him on waivers. Wow. Like, he, he was not at all valued coming into the season. And he has been everything and more for Brandon Hyde in this team. Yeah, we talked about this kind of all season long, like how 2019, why was the Orioles a, a, a attractive destination for free agents or guys looking to jump out their career? Well, because you have an opportunity here. You have an opportunity. It's a tryout, basically. Yeah. It's your chance to show the Orioles and other teams across the major leagues what you have to offer. So for Hanzo Alberto's sake, he showed he can slug left-handers like, and just absolutely demolish them. Uh, have a consistent at-bat all the time, can maybe provide a leadoff candidate if needed, good hitter off the bench. You know, he's played in, I think, the fourth most games of this whole roster of, of the position players this season, which is impressive, you know. And yeah. I, I, I want to say there was a small injury instance. You know, he's played 131 games. That's not a ton. But for the most, I mean, 131 games, that's yeah, still yeah, like that's a large good. sample size. In, in today's game. Yeah, so, you know, I, I think there's also a caveat to this conversation, Paul, like, which guys 
do you, you know, if you're in Michael Elias' office right now having this conversation, like what guys do you are you bringing back because of their potential to be traded? Yes. You know, yeah. not just for a long-term person. We just talked about Trey Mancini for 15 minutes or whatever it was. And, you know, how he could possibly be a, a long-term, long-term piece for this organization. These guys are probably not going to be long-term pieces. We're just strictly talking yeah. about 2020. And, you know, Hans Alberto to me is a guy that you bring back, invite to spring training, if he shows that he can continue hitting for average and, and you kind of broadcast that, it's like, yeah. hey, look how this look he hit all last year. Yeah. No one was really hot, high on him. Now he's doing it again at the beginning of the 2020 season. He's just destroying lefties. You know, someone come get him. Yeah. And, and I think that's an interesting part of the conversation as well because, you know, I would think Michael Elias is, all right, we have these guys in-house. Let's not let them just walk away after one year, bring them back for a year because they had – something to give, there is something valuable about them, and then maybe we can flip them July 31st in 2020. Arguably, he has been up there with John Means for the biggest success stories of Elias's first year yeah. on the job. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody who came in with, it, it is exactly what he wanted to accomplish in, in year one, is finding guys who are uh, disregarded by other teams and turning them into to positive players with positive stats. All right, so he has definitely, I think, earned, obviously, a leg up on the, the competition uh, at in, in the infield, whether it's at second base, whether it's elsewhere. Uh, another guy who has had an, a quietly awesome year has been Jonathan VR. He's worth, right now, on baseball reference, four war, four wins in, uh, via war. He has been uh, a, a modest, moderate power hitter. He has stolen a ton of bases like they expected him to. Uh, he has not played great defense, but at this point, he is a 28-year-old who can play several defensive positions in the infield, who can hit for power, and who can steal bases. That guy is valuable. Yeah, it's, uh, 23 homers, 32 doubles, uh, adding 69 RBI. Nice. Um, he's a guy – I think the most versatile part about him is the infield part, the yeah. defensive part. Uh, the power is a plus, which I think helps his value go up a couple ticks. Uh, it'll be interesting to see him his numbers this year compared to that of Jonathan Scopes. Now, I know the Twins hit a million home runs, but... Scope did not have a great year. He did not have a great year, and I don't think he was even, you know, a full-time starter at some points. Yeah. And Jonathan Villar came in, and he's a guy that Brendan Hyde felt comfortable hitting at the top of the lineup, whether that's one or two, three, whatever it was. Um, could play mostly at second base, but if needed, shift over to short. I think he made him played third a handful of games, but his versatility for me across the infield brings more value than just his power bat. Because again, I mean, twenty three homers and only sixty nine ribbies. That's that's good, but like in this day and age when the ball is just flying out yeah. of the, bar, I mean, it's that's kind of expected. Like you should be able to hit yeah. twenty, and you know he should be able to hit twenty five and seventy five RBIs at the end of the season. That's pretty standard nowadays so that's fine it's, it's his versatility of playing three defensive positions at a pretty solid level too i would say and, and be able to command the infield i think is what, where his value lies the most yeah by the way jonathan scope 258 average this year he hit 22 homers just one stolen base he was never a big base dealer obviously but uh i think he plays a little bit better of a second base but i haven't really you know he's never he was used very sparingly at shortstop uh, with the Orioles. I don't know how much he has played over at that position. Doesn't look like much with the Twins. Worth 1.8 wins above replacement, according to baseball reference. So worth less than half, yeah. <laughs> according to baseball reference board. VR also has an interesting uh, worth in his contract because he's arbitration eligible still and not a free agent until 2021. Yeah. So you bring him in for 2020, maybe find a trading partner at some point in the first half of the season. 
you can ask for a little more because, hey, you can have this guy for – it's not just a rental. You guys, you yeah. can have him for this half of the season and then also probably for relatively cheap for the next season as well if you need him. So you can maybe add a little – you know, throw an extra prospect or so right there in a trade for VR. Yeah. Another guy, Richie Martin, who has been excellent defensively as advertised, just has not been able to find his bat. Now, guys, we, we've seen several cases of guys who have had very rough – rookie years at the plate, uh, and then bounce back in their second years. He, though, comes in with a 198 average, not much power at all, just five homers and just 19 RBIs on the season in 115 games. Um, Martin came in as a 300 hitter at the minor league level in 2018. I expected a little bit more, I will say, offensively. Mm -hmm. And at this point, his defense was great, and he has stuck with the major league team all season. But if somebody, I think his job is very much up for grabs going into next season. Absolutely, because his Rule 5 status is taken away. Yeah. So he doesn't need to stay with the minor, uh, the major league club all season. That's that's kind of the point right there. Yes, he was with the club all year, but it kind of had to be. So I think this was more of a play. You know, we talked about this too because it's, it's, it's safe. We're not, we mean the Orioles, we're not going anywhere this year. We can run him out every game, keep him on the roster, his defense plays. We talked about it. His glove plays at a, at a valuable yep. position at shortstop, too. That is great. That's what kept him up here. And now let's see if his back can grow. We can option him down to the minor league starting next season. He can kind of build up there. You know, I'm who plays shortstop at AAA for the, for the tides? You know, I, don't, yep. I couldn't even tell you. Um, so I should know this. We've been there. No, we, that's we the, one, the we, only that's one, the one we, we didn't get to. Yeah. Um, Four hours, a little bit far. Four hours. Uh, so, yeah, he's the one that uh, – rookie contract, too. It's like, you know, why not? Yeah. And at this point, you took him in the Rule 5. You saw something in him. It, became, it was down between him and Drew Jackson to start the season. You went with Richie. You made it through the season with him. And, again, his defense played. I, I, I would have to imagine that they would have – they, being Michael Elias, would have done something with him if he just did not show that he could play up here. His glove was good enough. His bat – fluctuated we saw like there were weeks where it's like oh he's finally turning a corner oh no he's not oh you find oh no he's not so you know can he consistently get that average back up back up back up again to me i ideally see a a, a solid leadoff hitter type in or someone you could put the bottom of the order to flip the order if you're trying to get fancy yeah. with it um down the line that's ideal that's my ideal scenario for richie martin to to and to fulfill his uh orioles commitment or whatever so but let's see how he, uh, he continues to progress at a lower level before he's entirely ready to jump yeah. up here. Uh, the other two other guys I want to touch on who are sort of third baseman, one more than the other, Rio Ruiz and Renato Nunez. Now, Ruiz is the weaker hitter, but the better defender. Um, they are both around this. They're both the same age, 25 years old. Um, Ruiz might be uh, more valuable to this organization because of how uh, much better he is defensively. But Nunez has 29 homers this year. Yeah. He has struck the ball very well. Um, still a low average, just 248. But you can't ignore those 81 RBIs as well. Now, Rio Ruiz, a 239 hitter. Um, he has been slightly disappointing at the plate as well, I will say. And uh, not a whole lot of homers. 11 homers in 2019 is not a whole lot um, for considering the rate that, at which these guys are hitting them. So, two interesting guys um, to see how they will be going forward. You add in the possibility that maybe we see a Ryan Mountcastle up next year, mm -hmm. who 
maybe a third baseman, maybe a DH. We've seen Renato Nunez in the DH spot a lot this year. And obviously, Trey Mancini at first. Will Chris Davis be back? So he could be at first. And he, so there are a lot of moving pieces here. But two guys that I think um, come into next year with, you know, more than likely, to if they're here, to make the roster. But um, it's going to be anybody's position at third going into next year. To me, these two guys, what comes to mind is, like, their highs are pretty high. Yeah. But their lows are also really low. So it's like, who, who are you? You know, what do we? I I would lean towards Nunez because he's played more consistently. Uh, the power numbers are there more so than Rio Ruiz's. Yeah. Uh, but we've seen him struggle in the in the field a lot. I feel like I've seen Rio Ruiz struggle in the field recently. I know it hasn't been an overall thing, but I feel like every yeah. time I've seen him, he's he's botched a couple of routine plays or something like that. He's also I've def I know this for a fact. I have definitely seen him not do too well on the base running. Now, it's the 2019 Orioles. No one has done too hot in base yeah. running. That's something they need to work on as a young team. But I feel like I've seen a lot of base running blunders from Rio Ruiz, which isn't great. I would say, you know, if, if you're asking me to pick one, I would say maybe Nunez has the higher ceiling, right, at this point uh, because the power numbers are there. The defense does concern me, but, you know, it's like you said, you know, it might not even be an issue if – uh Brian Mancastle comes up and makes the team now, and he's your third baseman. And you just, and I think Rio, I mean, excuse me, Renato Nunes has played a lot of DH, his DH a lot this season. Yeah. So that's a spot for him you can maybe slot in. And that you just, then you just have his power bat in the lineup, and that's all you need from him. So I, I would say they both have had some, some highs and lows, but I would say Nunez's highs might slightly a tick higher than uh, Ruiz's. So I would stick with Nunez. It's a good call. Uh, I, I tend to agree with that just because he has shown the ability to hit homers, and uh, we have not yet seen that from Rio Ruiz. All right, uh, catcher and first base. Chris Davis, it is crazy to think, and this is a storyline that has flown under the radar over the past month, but these, in theory, could be Chris Davis's final games at Oriole Park at Camden Yards as an Oriole. Some, um, you have to think that Michael Elias is just waiting just to eat that money. Just like, you just... He's not playing. Yeah. I mean, you can't play a guy, was it $60 million a year or something like that, to not play. Yeah. I mean, it's just, that's just, there's no point. I mean, but the expanded roster is fine, you know, but, you know, from late March to August, he's eating up a roster spot that could be taken by someone else who yeah. could contribute to this team. I mean, you just can't throw a sub-200 hitter out there every day. Yeah. And his glove has taken a dip down. I still think he's probably the best best first baseman defensively on this team. Yeah. But that's no reason to keep his 180 whatever batting 170, average in the yeah. lineup. 170. 170, just 10 homers 10 on the homers. year. 10 homers. A guy who hit, you know, 50 homers a couple years ago can yeah. only hit 10 now. Yeah. This is in, in 100 games, too. So uh, this has been a very, very frustrating year for Chris. Um, and uh, it's they, they might have hit uh, the end of the line with Chris Davis at first base. Uh, Catcher-wise, Pedro Severino. 254 average, uh, 13 homers, 44 RBIs in 94 games. He has been pretty solid. I would say, I mean, he's he's a huge bright spot. And this yeah. is also coming from two guys who have watched him in his years with the Nationals, and he just could never get it going. And all of a sudden, he's found his offensive power consistently. Um, work behind the plate. He was always supposed to be touted as a, as a pretty solid defensive catcher. Maybe it was because the Nationals' other catcher was Matt, an old Matt <laughs> Wieters. Yeah. So that's why his defensive uh, abilities were valued uh, in D.C. But here, I mean, I there has been some 
downtimes in him defensively. I think he's young and he still has a higher upside. Um, when is the book on Chan Sisko going to be written? We've yeah. seen him for a couple of seasons now. Uh, still you know, 24 years old. He's very young. I, I, I'm not saying he's had his chance and I'm done with him. I'm right. just saying it's like now we've got more of a book on him. When when do we get to a point where, like, okay, this is Chan Sisko actually is and this is his ceiling? Or do we say, no, he's actually still growing. He can be a solid producing catcher. Yeah, it is a tough spot for him considering Severino is still only a year older than him. Yeah. So, um, and he's he's was not brought in by this this front office. You know, he was a. It's not like he was a, a signing in the offseason. He was drafted and developed by the off by the front office that came before Mike Elias. So, Elias doesn't have any ties to him. Um, and Elias just drafted his catcher. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so obviously, this is a position that a few years down the line, you know. Will be if, solved. If will be solved, and if we see one of these guys on the roster, he'll be a backup for, um, uh, you know, a certain guy. I mean, but, Pedro uh, Severino should be the 2020 opening day catcher, I, I believe. Yeah, I think at this point he has shown yeah. that. Yeah, so and that's great. He has another solid season next year. That, that's awesome. More power to you. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, I don't think catchers are traded too often um, at <laughs> July 31st, but. Again, maybe there's somebody some va- goes down. Maybe there's yeah, an injury. Good good point. Maybe there's value there somewhere. Yeah. Um I at some point I do want to talk about the pitchers, but I think we're gonna save that for next week's pod. That's good. Huh? That's good because we have one more regular season pod. We do. One more regular season pod. Uh and one, you know, to about ten days left of the regular season here. Final homestand at Oreo Park at Camden Yards. Be sure to come down. It was a beautiful early fall day today. Oh, it was beautiful out. Uh, was cool. Absolutely gorgeous. You don't know what you have until it's gone. Come to the ballpark this weekend. Because we all know in come February, we're going to be watching uh, streams of at our desks of spring training games. Yes. And, and wishing that, just wish, looking out the window and just wishing that there were baseball being played yeah, here. Exactly. You know it's true. You know it's true. That's a good point. Come Bobby. play. Come to Oreo Park. Strong words from Bobby Blanco. I am Paul Mancano. Catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, anywhere you can find the podcast. You can watch us on YouTube. Watch us on the Mass and All Access Facebook page. At Bobby underscore Blanco is his Twitter. At Paul Mancano is mine. Follow us, of course, at at Mass and Orioles on Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. And this has been the Mass and All Access podcast brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. Doodles.